Well, hi, everybody. It's good to see you again. Glad that you're here. I want to start off by saying thank you for doing what we asked you to do on Christmas Eve. We asked the whole church to take two invitations, pray over them, and give them away. And if you simply do the math, what we can tell you is that uh, more than 50% of the people you invited showed up we actually had more than 5,000 people just at this campus, just at this campus all by itself. We gave away, we had gifts for every person who accepted Christ. We gave away 93 of those, and then we had a whole bunch more people come and show up afterwards in, like in the days that followed. And so here's what we proved once again. If you invite them, they come. It's as simple as that. And we don't need to be weird or crazy about it. It's just a simple invitation. Why don't you come and join me for church? And so uh, we're actually not done with that particular invitation piece. In fact, we're going to uh, send you on a prayer assignment after those invitations over the next couple of weeks. That's what conversating is all about. So stick with me and uh, we'll find out. Normally I'm prepared like way out in advance on some of, these, uh, some of these series. This is one of the ones God just keeps giving like a little drop here and a little drop here and a little drop there. So... Uh, you can pray that God inspires me this week to say something because right now I got like three verses and one really cool story. And uh, <laughs> does that give you confidence? That's great. Okay. So let's get started tonight. As much as I love uh, giving my Baptist upbringing an unbelievably difficult time because there's just so much material to use with that whole upbringing, one of the great benefits that I did derive from my heritage was an unbelievable deep appreciation and knowledge of Old Testament stories. I mean, I learned them all the way through uh, my years of growing up. And I love understanding how the unbelievable truth and the messages and the principles from the Old Testament make the New Testament so much more meaningful when you're able to trace the threads that God began all the way back in the story of the Garden of Eden and you follow them all the way through the New Testament. And there's just so many moments when the lights just kind of come on and you go, oh, so that's what God was up to. Because I want you to know this. I've said it many times before, but I want you to know this. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It's not. The Bible is a single story in which every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. And we know who the one is that it's always pointing to, but I want to try and reinforce that this weekend. At the beginning of the year, I just open my Bible. I try to ask God, what do you want to say to me? What are the things you want to pour into my own heart? What's for private consumption, what's for public consumption. And I stumbled upon a verse this, this, uh, just this past week that, that just captured me. Because Jesus is talking and it's describing a conversation he's having with a group of people. And it says this, then beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets, he, meaning Jesus, explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. So Jesus starts way back at the beginning and he shares how he's the thread that weaves through every single story in the Bible. Some people fall into the trap of believing the Bible's all about us. I hate to blow your idea out of the water. The Bible's not about you. The Bible's not about me. The Bible is about Jesus and his plan for you and me. But we need to get that in the right priority order. Otherwise, we start believing that this is actually all about us when that's the furthest thing from the truth. And we fall into bad traps because when you read the Bible, it's easy to get twisted around in the text. Because some of the Old Testament stories, let's just be honest, they're a little crazy. I mean, if you read the Old Testament at face value, it's just like there's some interesting, intense stuff. And a lot of people... 
If they don't read the entire story, the entire scope of Scripture, they end up reading just the Old Testament and they walk away believing that God is an angry, violent, genocidal maniac who spends his time asking crazy people to do crazy things. But that's not the whole story. It's not the whole story from beginning to end. So let's just start at the beginning and start talking. The Bible starts with Adam and Eve in the garden. And Adam, being a typical man, guys, sorry, but it's true, okay? He pulls a man card, he becomes selfish and neglects his wife, and then everything falls apart. Adam faces this test of obedience and watchfulness, and he fails. And because of his failure, the perfection of creation and the perfection of man's relationship with God is ultimately destroyed. Adam has two boys, Cain and Abel. And before humanity's first family can even make it through two generations, the wickedness of a human heart just comes bubbling up to the surface and it's put on full display when Cain murders his own brother. I mean, think about that. Humanity's not even two generations old and somebody's already killing somebody. So if you think your family is nuts, you can encourage yourself with this. If you made it through Christmas alive, you did better than the original family in the Bible and you should be thankful, okay? Just saying, all right? But we're not even through three or four chapters and blood is spilled and man begins to push down this uncharted path of sin. And a guy named Abraham shows up. And Abraham is told to leave everything and follow God. And he's not given a compass and he's not given a map. He's not even really given a guarantee. He's got a couple of promises to hold on to and he's just called to step out. Pack up all your stuff and start moving in pure, simple and trusting faith. And we follow Abraham as he just starts walking because God said, just go walk. Abraham has a son named Isaac. God asks Isaac to do the unthinkable, to sacrifice the life of his own son and sacrifice him on an altar. Now, we know the end of the story, so we, we console ourselves because God stops Abraham, doesn't allow him to take the life of his own son. But you finish the story and you kind of go like, what kind of God is that? What kind of a God would ask a man to sacrifice his own kid? And a man named Jacob shows up in the story. He is a distasteful con man. He's one of my favorite guys in all of Scripture. I love him. He's a con man who inspires his own mom to take advantage of his father's physical disability to come out ahead financially. You should read that story in your Bible. It's crazy, all right? And then because of his own actions, his family's torn down the center and he ends up completely isolated, completely alone. And as in all cases in scripture, when there is a con man, you soon find God chasing the con man. It happens over and over again. In the New Testament, it's a prodigal. Every time there's a prodigal, God's chasing the prodigal. That's what God does. He pursues, he looks, he calls. So God chases the con man, and they actually end up having this epic wrestling match. Don't believe me? You should read your Old Testament sometime. They have an epic wrestling match, and, it is, and as in all cases, when God fights a human, the human loses. That's how it works, okay? We should get that in our head. That's how it goes, okay? God honors Jacob's tenacity, though. He honors his newfound humility, and he actually restores his family to him. And Jacob gets a new name, Israel, and the rest is history right? Then a guy named Joseph shows up. Joseph enters this narrative and we see another family that is so unbelievably dysfunctional, there is hope for our own, right? Makes us feel so much better. Joseph's death is faked by his own brothers, his own brothers. 
fake his death, lie to their father so that he thinks his son is dead. Now, Joseph contributed some of his own pieces to that. You should read that story too. It's fantastic. Joseph ends up being sold into slavery where he's subjected to false accusations of sexual misconduct and prison and hunger and pain. And all through the story, we did a whole series on this, all through the story, we keep hearing the same phrase, and God was with Joseph. And we think in our brain, if that's what it looks like to have God with you, I want God to go and be with somebody else. I'm not interested in having God with me if that's what, prison, sexual misconduct, allegations, not interested, thank you very much. And we watch over years, God bends Joseph into a godly man and then actually puts him in a place of unbelievably high position. And the story reaches this unbelievable climax when Joseph is face to face with the very brothers who betrayed him and Joseph has the power to exact revenge. And out of that story comes this beautiful verse, what you intended for evil, my God used for good. And we run into a guy named Moses. Moses gets called out of obscurity. All of a sudden he's leading God's people out of, out of slavery, Right? Commits murder. That's an interesting part of the story, beginning there. Commits murder, disappears, runs away. And then God basically says, now you're going to go back and you're going to show up in front of the human being who's the most powerful human being on the face of the earth at that time in history. And you're going to stick your little finger in his chest and say, let my people go. That's how it's going to work. And then the story follows with plagues and, and death and darkness And Moses leading the people of Israel as they run for their lives across the Egyptian plain. And and they actually escape and God delivers them and they forget everything that God's done. And they end in this great big cycle of whining and complaining. Whining and complaining. They actually end up saying, we want to go back to Egypt. Are you kidding me? That's like us saying, I want to go back to $4 a gallon gasoline. Are you kidding me? Right? And on the journey, we come face to face with Moses' humanity, right? One second he's obedient, the next second he's not obedient, and then his anger problem keeps blowing up. My favorite part of the story is when he takes a stick and he beats up a rock. Because we all know how, that is just such a positive thing to do, isn't it, right? Just take a stick and whack a rock. It'll make everybody in your family feel so much better, right? And then on the stage comes Job, a righteous man who loses everything. He's wealthy, he's got a great family, and he loses everything except for his Redeemer. And we read the story and we go, how in the world does those pieces fit together in the face of so much loss? And we watch Job grieve, and then we watch Job's stupid friends show up and try to help him. They just would have kept their mouths shut, right? And we watch him as he hangs on for dear life, as Satan buffets his life with loss after painful loss. And then we see Job finally have enough, and he actually demands a confrontation with God himself. And we swallow just a little bit when God shows up and says, you want to talk? Then let's talk. One of my favorite verses Job, brace yourself and I will speak to you as the man you are. I retract my request for a meeting, right? Not interested. Then we meet David, a musician, a giant killer, a future king. 
the peeping Tom, the conspirator, and eventually the king of Israel, right? And we see the devastation of David's family and his struggle to be on speaking terms with the God he loves. That's where the series Conversating is going to come from. And then we meet Esther. And she takes center stage and we marvel how how this insignificant Jewish girl can save an entire nation. And we watch as as she loves and protects and stands boldly in the face of fear and death. And we ask ourselves, would I have the courage to try and save my own people? If my own people had basically told God where to go. And then we run into Jonah. A whining, sniveling prophet whose story comes to the forefront and we watch as he runs from God's mission and ends up taking a fish express back in the opposite direction to the place where he started. And we watch as God, in spite of his insolence, uses him to transform an entire city. And then we watch the end of the story and it doesn't ever resolve. And we end up going, no, 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 I need more because Jonah ends up sitting on the side of a hill singing, nobody. He knows the trouble I've seen. I mean, he's just, and then it's done. We see the stories and we love the poetry and the angst of these big epics, but we're left with a lot of questions. Is that the kind of God I want to serve? Is that the kind of God I can love? Is that the kind of God that will love me back? What, what crazy thing is he going to ask me to do? And am I willing to actually do that? Is this a loving God or is this a God of, of anger and murder and blood? Read the Old Testament and get really messed up. And here's the toughest part. If you come up with the wrong conclusion, you end up believing what I believed for many years. That God is just a dissatisfied father who's never satisfied and therefore never capable of loving you at your worst, much less at your best. Because if he acts like that in the Old Testament, how in the world is he going to deal with a completely messed up human being like me? I'd like to share with you a Christmas gift that I got the week before Christmas Eve. I really like my new sweater, but it doesn't come anywhere in comparison. See, everybody's wearing your new sweaters too. That's great. That's cool, right? But the gift that I got before Christmas was uh, absolutely nothing like a sweater. In fact, I'm going to show you his story in just a few minutes. 20 years ago, I was a youth pastor in Steinbeck, Manitoba, and I had this kid in my middle school group named Nathan. Nathan had something about him. He had an unbelievably tender heart, but he did everything to put the toughest crust on himself that he possibly could. He had amazing parents, Ernie and Joyce Hebert. They were wonderful people. Ernie was in leadership at the church, my very first church when I was a youth pastor, didn't know nothing, did all kinds of crazy stuff, probably should have got arrested at some point, but we called it ministry. It was awesome, right? And and Nathan was this kid who'd come and sit, and he would always interact. He was, there was just something about him that just drew people towards him. And after I left Steinbach, I heard that Nathan had walked away from his relationship with God and then walked away from his relationship with his family and with his parents. And for some reason, I could not get this kid out of my head. I have a prayer journal. It's filled with all kinds of names and people and stories, dreams of miracles, I've been praying for Nathan for 20 years. Every Tuesday morning, every Thursday morning, every Saturday morning. He was just in my book, and I'd flip it open, and I'd see his name, and I don't know why, but I just kept praying for that crazy kid 
from Manitoba. Every time we'd go home to Steinbach, I'd ask if I could find out, hey, how's Nathan doing? And I'd usually hear stories about that he was in trouble with the law or that he was battling a drug addiction or whatever it was. I just thought he should probably keep on praying. A week before Christmas, I got an email from Joyce. She said, we really thought you'd like to see this. And there was a link to a video. And I clicked it and watched it and cried. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) I saw the story of a young man who for a lot of years operated because he thought he had a story about his father, but he was wrong. Well, I can't tell his story any better than he can. Let's watch the screens together. My relationship with my dad has always been strained at best of times. Um, He had a big heart and he helped me with a lot of things as a kid. Like, we played ball together, he took me fishing, taught me to throw a football, like, all the things a dad does. And I never saw that as him loving me, I just always believed that he didn't love me. Uh, Satan had planted that lie in my head at a very young age that dad doesn't love me. And I bought into that and I believed it and I lived it and that affected a lot of my life, living life under that, that pain of my father not loving me. We moved to Thompson when I was 14 and then everything went off the rails and I just, I needed to identify with something so I fought, I stole, I was a liar, I was always told these things are bad, you shouldn't do them. Every time I did them, I had fun. This was a great thing. Don't drink. Well, I drank and drinking was fun. Don't do drugs. I did drugs, drugs were fun. That filled the void that I was looking for. And uh, through that group of friends found acceptance in, in those things. My dad caught me smoking drugs in the house. When he caught me, he gave me half an hour to pack my things and move out, and so I did. I grabbed a bunch of clothes, threw them in a bag, and out I went. I lived in the city for a couple months and just everything felt empty and lonely and just downhill and life sucked. Um, Mom invited me home for Christmas. That was a very quiet Christmas. Dad sat there and did his thing. I sat in my end of the room and did my thing and we didn't interact much. Um, Shortly after, I'm sure this was Mom's doing, she invited me to live back at home. They thought they were giving me a leg up to start over, and I used it as extra money for partying. And so, ended up getting kicked out again, and then then life just went right down the toilet. I, uh, that's when I got real heavy into drugs and alcohol. Um, <clears throat> crime, run-ins with the law, just, you name it, we were, we were into it, and just being idiots. Uh, In March of 2013, my cousin Tyler McAllister came down and just started sharing with me uh, what had happened in his life, how God had been moving and working and and taking away his struggles and his his inner, inner demons. And I was under the influence at the time and he read uh, from Psalm 38. 
how much that had impacted him and his uh, turning his life around and realizing that he wasn't the first guy to feel that way, feeling hopeless and in despair and just absolutely worthless on his own. And he read that to me and I felt very happy for him. Um, this wasn't impacting me at all. It didn't make me feel anything. I just felt that that was a good thing for Tyler, not for me. And he left. And three hours later, I found myself on my knees just crying out to God, reading Psalm 38 from the Bible he left me. After giving my life to God, he took a lot of my addictions from me. I thought, ah, God took it from me, I'm, I'm cured. I just, I can have a couple drinks and be okay with that. And turns out I wasn't. I was compromising with little things where yeah, I'd have a couple drinks and have a couple more. It led to the point during hunting season where I was skipping church, justifying it as hunting season short. I can just miss a couple church services and it won't be a big deal. And, and that whole missing church thing really caught up to me with not having a grounded foundation in accountability. I was missing cell, I was missing church. I didn't have that, the accountability factor where I was just falling away bit by bit, which led to making some bad decisions and having a brush with the law. And uh, here God had taken me from such a, a terrible place and gave, given, gave me the chance to rise up. And I just totally took that for granted and jumped back in of my own free will. And I remember asking him, how, how did I get caught again? How did I get in trouble again? And he just let me know that my life was headed down such a dangerous, steep path that if he hadn't taken that from me at that moment and allowed me to get caught, that I may have just continued down that path to a point of no return, where I would have been that guy whose heart was hardened, who didn't care anymore, who didn't want to come back. And so, through his grace, I got in a fair bit of trouble with the law, paid some heavy prices, and managed to get life back on the right track. I started going back to church on a regular basis, getting back into volunteering, which I had been neglecting, back into Four Winds and just in applying myself and actually seeking God and not just taking it for granted that God's good and he's done all these great things. Thank you, but more like living a life of thank you, of showing him that I'm, I'm grateful for what he's done for me. It's not something that I give my life to God and he takes all my burdens and life's just all happy, happy. Life's tough, but now I can lean on God. Now I can look towards him for strength, for, for everything. Nathan, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he died on the cross and arose from the dead for your sins? I do. Do you forsake your own rights and declare you are living for him and will continue to do so for the rest of your life? Yes. Then upon confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life.
best Christmas ever. If you're praying for a Nathan, don't you dare give up. I don't care if they're part of your blood family or just a friend. Don't you dare give up. You have no idea what God might do. If you listen carefully to it, Nathan had the wrong story. He believed his father didn't love him, and that caused him unbelievable pain, both in Nathan and in Ernie, for all of those years. But there was actually more to the story. It wasn't the truth. And at the beginning of the message, I told, wove together a series of Old Testament stories that could, if we read them, just by themselves question the love of our Heavenly Father. But those stories are not the rest of the story. I said it at the beginning, I'm going to say it now. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It's a series of stories where every character points towards someone greater who is a truer and better hero. And Nathan got to meet that truer and better hero in a truer and better savior who came to fulfill everything that's promised in the Old Testament as the wonderful gift of the Son of God. Nathan needed a savior who was truer and better than anything he had ever attempted to fill his life with. And some of us have been there, haven't we? I needed a Savior who was truer and better than anything that I'd ever tried to substitute for God. You need a Savior who's truer and better than anything that you may have tried to substitute for God. And that is exactly what God gave us in Jesus, who's truer and greater. He's the ultimate hero, and he's the one that all of Scripture points towards. So because he's really, really smart, and I couldn't say it any better than he did, I'm going to wrap up our time together with the words of Pastor Tim Keller, because he said it this way, Jesus is the truer and better Adam, who passed the test in the garden, and his, whose obedience has been placed on us. Jesus is the truer and better Abel, who all, although was innocently slain, has blood that now cries out for our acquittal not for our condemnation. Jesus is the truer and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave everything that is comfortable and familiar and to go out into the void, not knowing where he was going to create an entirely new people of God. Jesus is the truer and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on a mountain, but was truly sacrificed for us. And while God said to Abraham, now I know you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son who you love from me. Now we can say to God, now we know that you love me, that you love us, because you didn't withhold your son, your one and only son whom you love from me. Jesus is the truer and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice that we all deserve so that we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that seek to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the truer and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power not to condemn them, but to save them. Jesus is the truer and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the truer and better rock of Moses, who even though he was struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives cool water in the desert. Jesus is the truer and better Job, a truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for us and saves his stupid friends. I like that one. Jesus is the truer and better David whose victory becomes the people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it. 
Jesus is the truer and better Esther who didn't risk just losing an earthly palace but lost the ultimate and heavenly one who didn't just risk his life but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the truer and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in and rescued. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the lamb, the light, and the bread forever and ever and ever. Don't let me down. Amen. I mean, that's what... That's what the rest of the story is all about. The new, fulfilling everything that was painted so painfully in the old. That's the rest of the story that gave Nathan a whole new life and a new start, even though the old was so unbelievably tragic and broken. He had a truer and better Savior who came and restored everything that he'd ever lost. And the same God who did this in Scripture and this for a kid in Steinbeck, Manitoba and this for a broken, dysfunctional pastor in Bellingham, Washington and this for everyone who's ever taken one single human breath. This is the rest of the story he begs us to know. A truer and better picture of a loving God who weaves epic stories and chases prodigals until they can't run and gives new for old. That was the God of 2014, and he most assuredly is the God of 2015. And he is the God we will continue to preach and continue to pray to and continue to worship because there is no one truer or better than Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for those who may have been confused by these epic stories of the Old Testament that seem to paint you in such a difficult light. Father, I pray for those for whom the light has literally come on as the light of the world has been revealed as the fulfillment of everything that was once old but is now new in Jesus. Father, I pray for those for whom Nathan's story is their story. And I pray that they would know that there is a heavenly father who would love to completely immerse them in the baptism of his love so that they wouldn't believe a lie that God has forgotten them or that he does not love them. So Father, may your love flow and immerse and touch us this year. Father, I pray for all of those who are praying for a Nathan. And I pray that today their heart would be renewed to continue to fall on their knees and cry out to a God who is most undoubtedly chasing that precious Nathan. Father, would you keep us 
crying out to you is you are a truer and better hope. Father, I pray for everyone who looks forward into this next year. And I pray that we would have a more complete picture of the God that we serve at the end of this year than we begin with. I pray that our eyes would be open, that our Bibles would be open, that our prayers would be heartfelt. And God, I pray for the patience and the courage to ask boldly and to wait patiently as you do that good work in all of us. So Father, thank you for the sweeping epic of Scripture. May we be enthralled with it this year. And may it penetrate our hearts and change us from the inside out. Jesus, thank you for being a truer and better answer for everything that I try to fill that hole in my soul with. Thank you for being God, King, life, bread, and light. We welcome your presence here. We welcome you, Heavenly Father. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. May our lives be forever changed because of an encounter with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.